Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. If you want to listen live, all you have to do is download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Also, if you want to catch this show on video, be sure to check out Zumo TV, channel 719. That's where you can find SportsGrid's Fantasy Sports Network. Enjoy the show, and thanks so much for listening. Rise and shine, sports investors. It is another beautiful day in the neighborhood, Wednesday, June 10th. Let's cock-a-doodle-do it. This is the early line right here on SportsGrid, giving you the edge. He's Kevin Walsh. I'm Dane Martinez. And every morning, we put the fun in functional sports content. Kev, for the last few weeks, months even, we say we put the fun in functional sports content. The question remains, will there be sports content out there for us to discuss? Now, you know, I found it very interesting, Kev. Yesterday, right, I outlined the finances for us. We talked about the kind of flagpoles that are out there, the owners wanting the 48-50 game season because of their profit margin. We talked about the players and at the 82 game season with the prorated force majeure, what it would mean for the owners. I told you yesterday, Kev, I guarantee that they're going to wind up between 50 and 82. You did some of the math. We corrected some of the math (laughs) and got to about 65 that we thought was kind of in between. Well, what do you know, Kev? We got word that Major League Baseball is sending another proposal, and it's 76 games. So you would say, whoa, that's real close to the 80 the 80 or 82. Are they going to you know, lose money? But there's another piece of it. And the other piece was it was not a straight you know, force majeure prorated cut. They're going to take the extra pay cut, getting it closer to that middle ground that we just talked about, which maintains some profitability for the owner owners and lets there be some kind of still, you know, portion of that salary uh, for the players. We've also, though, heard that this is going to get rejected, right? (laughs) That this is going to get rejected. So maybe triggering, you know, what we thought would happen the whole time. Manfred would just deliver the schedule and kind of settle this on his own. What are you thinking when you saw this back and forth? Because I'm thinking, you know, okay, they're still not really playing. This could be kind of faux negotiations Mm -hmm. just to get to that damn last resort. But Kev, the last resort also does give me confidence that ultimately we're going to have an answer and ultimately baseball will be played. Yeah, it was interesting because we saw some sides saying we're going to play baseball. And then there were other sides, though, evaluating the discussions and saying they might actually be taking steps backwards if that's somehow even possible. (laughs) And for those to like be simultaneous reports by like for very, very credible reporters, it's it just goes to show how messy this all can be. Um, I believe the 76 game proposal was them getting 75 percent prorated. Uh, right. salaries. So right. I tried to do the math this time using a calculator. Good stuff. And um, basically, if you were getting a dollar a game, yeah, I think it would work out to like 56 bucks, right? To play 76 games. Mm-hmm. But then do the players view it as those are 20 free games that they're getting. It, it just yeah. This is where I think that's going to continue to be a very difficult thing for them to negotiate. To me, though, Dane, what yeah. is right now, maybe even more than figuring out games and prorated schedules going to be the larger sticking point is this idea of we can opt out whenever we want to sign a waiver to say that this is all your decision to even show up here. I mean, you want to, again, you want to talk about opposite sides of the planet. Mm -hmm. I mean, one side's like we show up and if at any point we're not comfortable, we go home, you pay us. And the other side is like, here's a waiver that says, the exact opposite. And it's like, oh, no, that's not good. And I don't know how that lands for you, but I view that now as maybe the biggest disagreement that might be on the table. I uh, I agree with you. You know, when you hear on one side talking about signing something, I think they call it the acknowledgement of risk, right, on one side. And then on the other side, this idea of opting out if I don't feel right. I The way I read the opting out, though, 
Kev, was slightly different. I read that if you opt out because of health reasons, like if you are, you know, uh, if you have asthma, like I do, or in high-risk groups, right, or have, you know, an 85-year-old cancer-surviving mom that you live with, right, in those scenarios, you still get your service time and get your pay. I also thought, though, there were other things, like if you are just not comfortable, but there wasn't the documented high-risk area, I'm not sure if those players still do get paid. They may just have the ability to opt out and make their own decision. But regardless, right, the idea of one side saying, you know, sign away this waiver, understand and acknowledge, and the other side saying, listen, you know, we y'all need to acknowledge that this is the risk. <laughs> and even if we don't want to do it, um, kind of still compensating for it, or at least the credit of the service time, you're right. That is yet another hurdle, right, with the health risk. And I mean, even in the NBA, the health risk stuff of like coaches wearing masks or how many uh, family members can come into the bubble, right? We're starting to see a lot of these health concerns, you know, pop up as we iron out the rest of the details. You know, another piece, though, that I thought was very interesting in this proposal that ultimately may get rejected that changes some of the dollars and cents of us as sports investors, Kev, did you see this, that the proposal would have a 16-team playoff? I think that is very interesting. And following the blueprint, the NHL expanded their playoff in these crazy times with variants. The NBA has expanded the opportunity to qualify. And I get it, right? Those guys were halfway through the season, and maybe baseball is not. But usually, Kevin... Five and five, even with the expanded wild card, right? That's 10. Now growing it to 16 goes over 50% of Major League Baseball. How do you react to that? And if that were true, what about teams like my Angels then getting in and having a shot in the dance? Yeah, so I have mainly a lot of questions and not a lot of answers when it comes to this proposal. But I think that that's okay. The, The biggest question is, how does this work? I mean, surely it's not just a bunch of wild card single eliminator games like a chain. Like, remember how we when we talked about the KBOs right, uh, playoff right, format? Right. It's not going to be like some that chain. ladder format, yeah. Uh, and the thing is, when you go sixteen teams, you do have a bracket. You just do, right? Yeah. And if at any point you wanted to go about it that way, you could. Now, how are you going to break these things up? That's now that's obviously a little bit. More right. difficult. If you're going to go best of three throughout, I think that's fair. If you mm-hmm. want buys and then maybe a couple rounds are, you know, just straight up single elimination right. games, you could justify that. I, I think that that's plausible. I'm curious how you think they're going to have the 16 games work. The other question I have for you, because I, I, and I don't really know the answer, but I saw some people uh, having conversations about how the owners make their money, and there was this um, juxtaposition, right, that seemingly the owners make a lot of their money in the playoffs, and the players make mm-hmm. a lot of their money in the regular season. So they're now trying to figure out, like, oh, there's going to be this pool of money available for you in the postseason. And yeah. I'm just curious if you have any idea through, you know, the different things of research that you've done about how a 16-game expanded Playoff. postseason, right, can maybe quell some of the concerns the owners have about their profit margins and then maybe fix what is this massive gap in a regular season schedule understanding. Yeah, so, I mean, and remember, we've seen this in, in, in the NHL and the NBA as well, right? Expanding the playoffs does, in fact, get them more revenue. And they're hoping, and I, I would imagine, not imagine, I believe that that comes from the television side. Okay, Kevin, remember when I broke out the kind of revenue, a lot of it was the gate, a lot of it was the other things at the ballpark, the beer, the parking, the concessions, right? Then there was national TV and local TV, right? National TV, remember I gave you the $9.9 billion in a uh, normal season? Well, 1.7 of that is the national TV contracts. Okay, your TBS, your, your Fox, your, you know, obviously your ESPN, whatever. And that's for a certain number of games. Right. Well, now, if you have more of these national games, they're going to argue going back, hey, you got to kick it in for us. Right. And so that could be the way they make up more revenue. The same thing when we talk about these NBA teams and their regional contracts, you know, um, you have to have opportunities to honor that going above and beyond in an expanded format 
could um, provide more opportunities for the networks. That's the line, let's say, of the budget that would increase with these expanded playoffs. Same in the NHL, same in the NBA. I do think, however, um, it is very interesting that they're kind of landing where we talked about in terms of potentially the happy middle ground. What I'm thinking about, Kev, is listen, if they want to do 76 games, Mm-hmm. The clock is ticking, brother man, right? We figured out that, yes, for 50, they could fit it in, you know, August and September, right? And then do the playoffs in October like normal. But uh, if they go to 76, you need July to play ball. So that's one of the bigger things here, right? And I think that's why we've now been able to fully understand why the owners are so worried about a second wave of COVID yeah. wiping out their all-important postseason, yeah. which is understandable. Um, And what to make of a second wave of COVID, I simply have no idea. With the way things are, I've just got, you know, who knows, right? Um, And I think that that is something, again, this is where where the two sides just not wanting to work together in the slightest, right, is an issue. Because if one side could say, listen, just this is the regular season games, okay? And I understand that's where you make a lot of your salaries. We're going to make it up on the postseason end, okay? The postseason is so incredibly valuable, and Mm -hmm. we're going to share the wealth of the postseason. Now, the problem is it's difficult, right? Because at the end of the day, after round one, a whole bunch of teams just got eliminated. And now they're only going to be able to make up a portion, really, of the games that were missed by agreeing to a shorter regular season. And that's another reason why this is tough to figure out. And again, it would be so much better if both sides were able to work together, but one side is trying to keep 100% profit margin. Right. So the mm-hmm. other side, who everyone's painting as as the almighty evil guys play for the love of the game, has but no choice, really, but to try and stand their ground right. on what they're doing here. That's where that's where this just does become difficult to figure out. But I totally agree with you. Like the one thing is, I guess that you could say is a good thing for them, Dane, is yeah. the players offered a proposal on maybe the third and we're like, we'll play games on the 30th. Mm-hmm. The fact that they even suggested sure. that short of a turnaround, yeah. maybe then the players are like, fine, July 4th it is. And they'll just live with a rusty first couple of games. Yeah, I think that is possible. Remember also, um, the owners you know, are now coming back. They said they weren't going to have another proposal. And they did. You know, So this is a lot of stuff like Conor McGregor saying he's going to retire. And then not, you know, so we can't believe everything we see in this back and forth on its face. And this idea of the playoff money um, is in the NBA also. Remember this idea uh, when I told you the idea of the uh, regular season gap and how the players would be making less of their money in that exact article. It mentioned that this has been an issue for the NBA for years because the NBA makes most of that revenue in the playoffs. And then that is shared amongst all the playoff teams that, I mean, all the teams, even the non-playoff teams, that has been an issue. We're going to take a break here, Kev. I wanted to, you know, kind of dig in a little bit more, especially on this idea of 16 teams making the playoffs and thinking from a sports investment lens, what that could mean, because futures bets are out there. So let's look into that. And another interesting story from the baseball world about the men in blue behind the plate. We'll talk about that as well. When we come back, we are off and running. It's the early line, Dane and Kevin. Come on back. Welcome back in on the early line on Sports Grid. Dane and Kevin, looking into this Major League Baseball proposal, you know, I mean, the rubber's about to hit the road, Kevin. You know what I mean? We don't have much time left. It is June 10th already. They want to close by the end of September so they can have their playoffs in October, not go too far to potentially avoid a fall wave, right? And then, as we've talked about in other sports, you have to try to keep fidelity to the following season intact, right? So that makes a lot of kind of competing priorities. They need to shake hands and put pen to paper. But I wanted to ask you something. I've always had, you know, I've always had my commissioner hat on. And um, (laughs) I've I've thought about this. You know how we talk about the wild card game and how you play 162 games and then boom, the wild card. If you run up against like, oh, all of a sudden, you know, you run up against an ace, right? Like, 
uh, you have a great season, and then you face Jacob deGrom in the wildcard game, you know, and then boom, out all that hard work went. And, you know, you were talking about three-game series potentially with the 16-game playoff. I always had an idea because there was so much talk about the wild card being a one-game playoff that I'd love to bounce off you. And mm. you know what we're seeing now in these NBA mini-tournaments? We're seeing a version of this. I always thought that the wild card game should not be one game, okay? Here's what I think it should be. I think it should be over two days with a max of three games. In essence, it is a best of three. Ooh. However, the first day of it is a doubleheader at the better team's park. A doubleheader at the better team's park. We talked about home field advantage and how to make that real, okay. Mm. Well, you play the doubleheader, reclaiming that day. Imagine if Wild Card Day was a doubleheader in the AL and a doubleheader in the NL on the same day. They would finally take that day back. And then if the home team sweeps it, great. They move on, and they have that advantage at home to be able to do so. If they split the doubleheader, then the following day they play a decisive game back at the other team's ballpark. It doesn't mess with the schedule. You t we have this kind of already in these NBA playoffs, right, where the eight seed, right, would only have to win one of the two, right, where the ninth seed would have to kind of go back to back. And we've been talking about what is the real home field advantage. I think something like that uh, gets away from just the all or nothing one game playoff. Anything can happen in one given day. It would build the excitement back up and that part of the sports calendar when college football and NFL is starting, right? And, you know, we get some of the uh, nostalgia of the game. Let's play two, a doubleheader wild card day. Now, I don't know if they could do something like that, but if you're going to fit in 16 teams, they're going to have to condense the schedule on some level to get these uh, rounds of playoffs in. What do you think about that, Kev? It's interesting. So I, I'm, I've always just, it's tough because when you're playing that second leg of a double header, right? Yeah. Like you usually be like, Oh, you want everybody on full rest so you can get everybody to full go, but you can't really argue that it's an advantage for one team over the other because they both just play double headers. Exactly. Now, if one team is deeper, that usually means they're just a better baseball team. They should have the better record, and they should not be in the wild card game. Yeah, I, and I think that's fair. I think the home team would probably say that, I bet you, though, that the home team would feel like it is less of an advantage mm -hmm. than the current one-game elimination, I think, because they have to then win – uh, they have to win both legs double of the doubleheader, which is really tough. And if they yeah. don't, then they have to win yeah, on the road. Maybe the we flip flop it. The road team, you know, the lower seed gets one game at home on the first day. Mm. And then it's doubleheader back at the, the the higher seeds park the second day. It was just something to throw out there, right? <laughs> I'm trying to kill a lot of birds with one stone. No, and I, and I, and I, I, I like it because I do think there's going to be comparable conversations around mm -hmm. what they do to make this all fit and if that's just a bunch of the thing is right expanded playoffs i'm all for it but it'll it'll feel a little like oh that was a waste of time if, right. if it's just like four single elimination games because it's like ah you didn't really make the playoffs maybe mm -hmm. i'm wrong but I, ju I just feel like that'll be so, like... And that's amazing. always been the case with this wild card, right? Over the last, say, yeah. five, ten years, that one game is up to so much variance as opposed to the marathon that is the Major League Baseball season. But when we talk about variance also, listen, by definition, right... Baseball is a marathon, not a sprint. If you've read Moneyball, the Billy Bean strategy, right? It's that, you know, obviously, if you're built for 162 and you you, you think about on-base percentage, then over time, you're going to wind up winning more games. That may also be why those Oakland A's then, you know, could never get through a five-game series against the Yankees because of the way they were built. But I digress. But now, when you take it from 162... Down to 76, 110, 82, 50. There's more variance there, Kev, right? There just is, right? So depth is not tested. We've talked about this over the course of a season, and that's where the Yankees are built, the Dodgers are built, right? To have that depth. Anything can happen in a shorter time frame. 
And you made an interesting point. Now with your futures bets on FanDuel, right, they are saying the caveat has always been there that the season must run 75 games for the futures bets to hold, like divisions or win totals, right? And I think it's interesting, Kev, because what that is saying to me is that FanDuel is acknowledging that if the season winds up less than 75 games, there's so much potential variance at play that they don't want to hang the line. It's void because they can't consider and handicap accurately that much variance. I think that's a very interesting note that they're putting on the baseball futures bets. Yeah, and it's weird because 75 doesn't sound arbitrary when I were to give you like a percentage, right? Right. But it's not 75% of the games. It's just 75 games, which doesn't really divide evenly into 162. Like if it was 81 games, like, oh, okay. A quarter of it, sure. That sure makes sense. Like, it makes me still wonder, like, do sportsbooks legitimately have just crystal balls like no other as we sit here and they're like, yeah, 76 games. And they're like, no less than 75. It's like, you got to be kidding me. Like, how? And you said, right, like, that's where they've had it the whole time. They have. As soon as they switched it to percentages, from win total to percentages, that was the little footnote. Yeah. What will be interesting for me is if we end up with the 65-ish range. Yeah. What will they do, right? Because obviously they're going to have to adjust in some manner. Otherwise, they wouldn't have put that qualifier there. They're going to have to adjust in some manner. But realistically, how? Like, what do you do to the Yankees winning percentage because they're going to play 10 less games? Do you increase it? Do you decrease it? Do you just post that same number, but you take the caveat away? I mean, what do you do? I think when it comes to winning percentage, the reason they changed it to a percentage instead of a total number was so that they would be safe regardless of the number, right? I think that's the reason so that they could still hang a line, still get action over the last couple of months, which they have been, right? And have that action be valid. You know, you couldn't have the 84 and a half win total up anymore, but you still had a sports investing public that was wanting to bet it. So the percentage was the only way to like, in a comprehensive way, be able to maintain that bet once we knew what the number is. The way I believe you attack it differently is, listen, there used to be 10 teams in the playoffs. What they're talking about here is 16, right? It's just a little basic kind of statistics and math, right, Kevin? Like, the variance is there. What this is also going to do is allow three more teams in each league, we think, a chance at the dance, right? And you talk, you know about it from NCAA and March Madness. They're like, you got to be in it to win it. Teams do come from the succeed every now and then. Wild card teams do whatever. So what I think is that there's a team, I don't think this impacts the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Astros, the Braves. I think this severely helps those second tier teams. The teams that we've talked about as maybe on the ascend, right? The Chicago White Sox, a young core that looks good. The Angels, who I talked about, right? Um, on the on the on the National League, maybe a team like um, the Braves or the Mets, even or a team on the fringe, you know, um, that is coming up. They're going to have a chance to qualify where they wouldn't have elsewhere. And then once they're in the dance, right? And it's just a heads up, best of five, best of seven, whatever series, they're, you know, they're live. And so I think the biggest changes are not to the top dogs, okay? Because they're still going to be there. For me, it's those second tier teams that now have, on two levels, a much improved chance. One, the fact that it's a shorter season, so variance can reign supreme and help them. Yeah. And two, the field is expanded. I think these are two big things that increase the chances of your fringe or wild card contenders that had like the 53, 55 winning percent totals out there. I mean, 100%. At the end of the day, you have to, under, you know, when I make a bet, right, for any team to win the American League, yeah. an inherent piece of my bet is they make the AL playoffs. Right. right? You now just got significantly better off that that all-important piece happens. I'm still trying to figure out, though, right, is how they maneuver around this first round. Help me out here, right, after the wild card game is played, that first round of playoffs. Best of seven or best of five? 
I think it's up for debate because of the condensing of the schedule, right? Yeah. I think if I was commissioner, right, when you have 16 teams, 16 to 8 is 1, 8 to 4 is 2, 4 to 2 is 3, then the World Series, right? That's four rounds of playoffs, okay? The way I would do it is best of 3, best of 5, best of 7, best of 7. Which so the, And that's interesting because that first round, right, best of 3, one versus eight, two versus seven. But the wild card right now was only one game. That's the thing. So you're basically gonna, you. And I think though you might make an argument that that's the only way to justify expanded playoffs. Is like you're all gonna play in a best of three series. Yeah. The one thing I would say is, I think you might have to eliminate travel in a best of three. I could be wrong, and maybe mm. it's way too big of an advantage, and you feel bad specifically right. for four, five, with five right. now having to stay. The five team would get screwed, right? But realistically, like that might be somewhat fair. Like yeah. the idea that I mean, the other overwhelming thing that I think is very difficult to talk about, but exists, is that when the baseball playoffs start, there might be fans. And I yeah. don't know how we go about figuring right. this we out. about this with the NFL, yeah. But, like, that's not yeah. insignificant. No, that absolutely is, not. It's yeah. very, very important, in fact. And I just, again, like, that just feels like something that I know they shouldn't spend a ton of time talking about. But, I again, and I know, we, you know, you always say we don't know how the sausage is made. Right, right, but right. that sort of just feels like something that needs to be discussed. It could even be September. We've talked right. about, like, certain dates throughout that are interesting to look at. What's interesting for me, when you talk about the fan piece, right, as opposed to, say, the testing or the playoff format, the fan piece, unfortunately, I think is something that is outside of baseball's control. That's where governors and politicians, they're going to set the trend there, right? And baseball and all sports are going to have to kind of follow the governmental leader on that. We pick up on this conversation when we come back. It is the early line giving you the edge right here on Sports Grid. All right, welcome back into the early line here on Sports Grid. Dane and Kevin looking at Major League Baseball and their last proposal, which we think is going to get rejected anyway. But what's interesting, Kev, is we know these two are going to try to come to the sides. We know expanding the playoffs is a way to try to make up lost revenue. And what we're seeing is potentially an expansion to the playoffs. Listen. The NHL expanded the playoffs in these pandemic times. The NBA is looking to expand. Everybody's looking to get more action out there, more opportunities to generate revenue. And it looks like this baseball proposal is similar. But we are intrigued by the fact that 16 teams potentially to qualify for our playoffs, as what we've seen in a report, you know, gets you above 50 percent of the league. That gets there, similar to like how NBA and NHL is around that level, even with the seventh team in each conference in football, that's still 14 out of 32, which is under 50%. So, you know, it stands to reason, Kevin, you know, there's been some good work done by 538 and others, you know, data scientists who kind of run simulations. By definition, if there's going to be variants and there's going to be an expanded field, I kind of think that it doesn't mean as much to the true cream of the crop, Kev, you know, like your Dodgers, your Yankees, your Astros, your Braves. But for those mid-level teams, right, who could benefit from everything falling into place in a variant season or mm. can benefit from, oh, wait, if instead of five qualifying, eight qualifying because they're the teams that are going to be that six or seven or eight, and then they've got a stone's a puncher's chance in a series against you know the big boys, those are the teams that I stand that I think stand to benefit the most. I told you, for example, I'm on the Angels at eighteen to one in the American League that this could benefit. Do you think there's other teams, Kev, that could stand to benefit or potentially be hurt by this? additional opportunity which includes a whole hell of a lot more variance so for, i mean first of all like ultimately you saw it last year with the dodgers right like they were the best team right but the nationals are the wild card team because the wild card gives them a chance to make back what was their disastrous beginning to the season and we see how that plays out the nationals go on to 
win the World Series. As I look through the data points here, I think this is really interesting, right? And you see um, how a condensed schedule benefits the White Sox when it comes to just making the playoffs on a more consistent basis, right? So, okay, that's great. But you also look through it and go, all right, they didn't win any World Series titles. So what bets am I trying to make here? Um, I think there's some interesting things to be said about how they view the Minnesota Twins, who Mm -hmm. are a team. And again, like this is where you have to figure out what bets you're trying to make here. But the Twins, right, even though they are now making the playoffs less frequently, think about this, making the playoffs less frequently are winning championships more often. Think that's Visa, right? Like games. if a team is built for the regular season or built for the playoffs, think about it. You know, I remember in Arizona, the Arizona Diamondbacks of 2001 rode Kurt Schilling and Randy Johnson to a title, right? But right. those two guys could only pitch two out of every five days in the regular season. And we see that with more, a lot of top-heavy pitching staffs. I think that's a big difference for being built for the regular season versus the playoffs. Yeah, I I think another thing that does jump out to me is just a team that's in the red. And I know, right, we would usually look for blue. And and we'll put this up here on the screen so you can kind of see. This is 538 that ran a 1,000 simulations Mm -hmm. under different kind of proposals, right? 162 games, the normal playoff format, and a couple of others to see kind of who benefits from this variance that we're talking about. Yeah, and I think for people, right, like you might say, oh, they they think the Astros are bad. No, no, no. Like, look at the number of games that they're losing from, right? But I will say this. Boy, does this speak volume to the Dodgers, who missed the playoffs six times in (laughs) a 1,000 simulations in a 162-game season, and then only miss it 20 times with this added variance 102-game schedule. I mean, just the gap between them and the next team is quite ridiculous. I mean, they're 320 titles in a 102-game season compared to the Atlanta Braves' 141 is a significant gap. It's pretty interesting that the Braves won the same amount of times regardless um, of those spots. But also, I think the other big uh, thing that they're offering here, Dane, at 538, is this playoff berth when you go from 10 teams to a 14-team playoff. Yeah. I mean, you look at just how beneficial this is for teams to continue to get into the mix and how beneficial this can be for these teams and their quest for a title. Mm-hmm. And this is pretty much what I was just talking about in the last segment here. When you make a bet on a team to win the American League, or win the National League, or win the World yeah. Series, you are betting that they make the postseason. And you might say, well, no, duh. Inherently, okay, yeah. That's part of the bet. Like, you're not getting your money back. Like, think about it from the March Madness perspective, right? Like, you go out there and make a bet on a team to, to win the, the the whole tournament, and yeah. then you're sitting there and hoping that they had one of the best 68, you know, right. records or whatever it might be for, for the NCAA. So this now basically saying the odds that these teams all make the playoffs is greater is just a massive coup for you if you're going to play on a team like the Oakland Athletics or the San Diego Padres. Right, right, right. I think that's one of the bigger points of value is if you want to just start throwing a couple darts on exactly. teams that were not supposed to make the playoffs, exactly. that might be your best approach. Exactly. And that's why I remember I brought up the Angels last uh, yesterday's show. I think that kind of cut of teams really do stand to benefit. You know, and here's the other thing, Kev. I mean, think about this. We've been talking about how after this pandemic, who the hell knows, right? And that is variance in a nutshell, right? And one of the things we talk about, Kev, it's the same thing as like when we have a committee, I'm taking the lower side in ADP, right? With all things being equal, give me the plus money. Give me some of the shots to come in. I asked you if you were taking the big three teams in the NBA or the field. You know, the idea of some of these plus money underdogs coming in can only be increased by some of the variance. So definitely something to keep your eye on as Major League Baseball kind of stumbles over themselves in their potential return to play. I want to switch gears here, Kev. We're putting the Major League Baseball to bed for today. Um, What I do want to mention is, hey, in the NBA, listen, we got dates. We got potential matchups. And, you know, we talked yesterday about the yes-no playoff bets for some of the the teams that are in that, you know, qualifying range may have the play-in games. Well, two of those teams— will not will not have studs 
with them. You know, we've talked about John Wall potentially coming back, Ben Simmons potentially coming back, Nurkic in Portland potentially coming back, and the impact that will have. Well, that will not be the case for the San Antonio Spurs, Kev, as it looks like David Aldridge is done for the year. Yeah, so here here's the big thing with this LaMarcus injury, right, is it's very difficult. I said David to, Aldridge. The yeah, you did. It was, it was LaMarcus Aldridge. Aldridge. That's, that's, that's the last dance effect right there. David Aldridge <laughs> was a superstar during that show. Uh, but we all knew what you meant. Um, so the thing with this LaMarcus injury, right, is you instantly go, okay, it's one of the best players. How is this anything other than bad? The Spurs roster construction is what I would make an argument that I would now be more inclined to bet on the Spurs really? than I was pre-injury. Wow. Um, the thing is, his on-off numbers for the last two seasons have not been in his favor. Mm-hmm. And it's, again, it's not to say that they're better without LaMarcus all. Right. It's that they're, they have an archaic roster construction because DeMar DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge are mid-range centric players. And that's not how you win championships in 2020. It's just right. not. If it was, Carmelo Anthony would still have a job. Right. I mean, you just and he would be like making all star teams on a regular exactly, basis. Right. The, like Carmelo is now shooting more threes. Like the idea that he didn't transition the Olympic mellow sooner, but okay. That fun. piece of the game has vanished. The mid range jumper is a lost As, art. I think it, it still has its value. Like we've seen Chris Middleton and Chris Paul okay. use it super effectively, but you can't have like for that to be where an overwhelming percentage of your shots would come right. from. That's not ideal, right? And that's where your best players do their best work. It's difficult then. It's easier for defenses to defend. You're not spread out enough. Those guys don't have their space. Now, DeMar DeRozan can operate in more space. Now, a lot of these other shots will be worth three points as opposed to worth two points. And they become a little bit more dangerous. It's pretty much the difference here, Dane, of high floor versus high ceiling. Mm. And their floor, right? Was, all, was still not that exciting with LaMarcus Aldridge in tow, but they've now raised their ceiling a yeah. bit. If we're going to sit there and say that the Blazers, the Spurs, and even the Kings have a chance, the half-game gap with a more dangerous Spurs team to me, and okay. oh, by the way, less odds, right. it makes them interesting. Okay, let me ask you this, because I, I, I understand what you're saying. Is it, this, is it similar in your opinion, as when the Rockets decided to move Capella. Um, Because, you know, without Capella, they, the Rockets, could now kind of shove all in on that brand of play, right? You know, P.J. Tucker at the five, for goodness sakes, right? And being like, no, this is how we're going to do it. We're going to spread you out. We're going to launch, right? And instead of the archaic need for the five, I know Aldridge is different than Capella, but what you're explaining, it sounds like the Spurs now have the ability to play like as them, their best selves, <laughs> you know, and similar to what I believe the Rockets were able to do um, after moving on from a, um, a prototypical big. I just think it gives them this opportunity to play a style of basketball that is necessary for them to try and actually right. catch the Grizzlies, basically. Yeah. You know, this is a, yeah. they're in a really weird spot, Dane, with DeMar DeRozan being a potential free agent. Mm-hmm. I mean, this little Marcus Aldridge injury is not great. I think he recently signed a very short extension. He doesn't have a lot of time left uh, in San Antonio, probably. And then you've also got this situation with Greg Popovich, who I thought this was supposed to be his last season. That way he could then coach the USA basketball, retire with gold. We now know that USA basketball has been moved back, right, the year. The Olympics happened, yeah. Right. But you you might, yeah, say USA basketball. (laughs) The Olympics were moved back. A much more important, yeah. Uh, It'll be interesting to see if next year's Popovich's last year, what does that mean for this first team? Could there be a tank that... They got to turn the page at some point. yeah, it's just it's going to be interesting to see how that team tries to rebound, and, and I don't know, I don't know how they're necessarily going to do it, but I do know that they are they are a lot more interesting. And I will say this for betters out there: I would be more inclined to touch that Spurs yes playoff bet than I was a day ago. And when it comes to now, people are going it's it's super right. It's just oh, DeRozan over props right on his points mm-hmm. right. It just of course, he's going to shoot more. They're the going to adjust reaction, that. Yeah. 
they're going to adjust for that. Like, right. you know what I mean? Of like, it's, they're gonna, he's not going to have to score more points. Right. I believe it's just now the assist prop is where you're going to find the value. Because, again, it's now a little bit more spaced out, and he's going to be able to hit. Like, it's easier for him to pass the ball. So maybe like a Trey Lyles or a Rudy Gay? You know, right, or bump, right, with the spacing. Mills in the corner and whatever right. it might be with that spacing, and he's going to have the ball in his hand that a lot more sense. now with LaMarcus not there. So those are the two things I would look for when games resume. Um, and be interested on the Spurs if they're catching more points than they should be because of the Aldridge injury. Absolutely. Well, we're going to end it here. We'll come back. There's another player not making it back. And then we'll talk about a player who's maybe choosing that he ain't going to show up. And we'll talk about that when we come back. It's the early line right here on SportsGrid. Welcome back in, everybody, to the early line, hour number one. We're putting in the books after this. Kevin and I talking about the NBA, talking about the Major League Baseball proposal, and some guys that won't be back for their NBA teams when they do resume. We talked about LaMarcus Aldridge and kind of the role he plays and what the Spurs are able to do, maybe with him not on the floor. Another guy who's not going to be on the floor, we've talked about this a bunch. We thought he could move the needle. It was almost wishful thinking that Kevin Durant would see the court this year when we pushed it back you said the nets would still qualify they had interesting odds and you thought it was live for them to maybe get bumped out if they fall back you know i mean obviously with kd it would have been a different story how do you see the nets does this move the needle for you or were you expecting him to not come back i do think it is the prudent decision for them to hold tight until next year yeah i was expecting him not to come back and i long um said that that made a lot of sense because of the overwhelming feeling, right, is that mm -hmm. he rushed back from injury, right, the and then snapped everything in the finals, and that's what cost him that. However, I did start to change my tone a little bit, and here's the only reason why. I thought that he could go out there and play in the eight regular season games and manage his minutes how he'd like, and right. I thought it would have been a good warm-up for him. Now. The thing is, right, I mean, one of the things he offered is something I agree with. He's like, I'm not going to go back out there and be thrusted into those exactly. high intensity. And I totally get that. But that's why I felt like to me, and again, maybe I'm off base here, and that's fine if I am. Um, but I feel like he could go out there, play in those eight games. He doesn't have to play in all eight of them. And they're not all going to be crazy intense. And I just think right. that he can kind of push it at his own. To me, him out there pushing it at his own pace, Dane, is still a plus for this Nets team. I think he would have been it would have been good for him. I think it would have been good for them, obviously. I guess the counter to it is I mean, obviously safety over everything. But I've it's got also counter to it. Probably, no, I mean, and I'll offer this is how much like I'm not like sure. no, is I'm offering a counter to my own point. Right. Is like maybe Durant wouldn't be able to control himself. That's like, the thing. Yeah. And That's the thing. And Kevin, maybe he can it. control himself in eight regular season games. Mm -hmm. But then what happens when the Nets are in the playoffs? Oh, yeah, he played no, so eight games. The fans see it. The teammates see it. And all of a sudden, they're tied 1-1 with the Toronto Raptors in the first oh. round. And then, and then there's like, hey, KD, you still manage yourself. That becomes very, very hard. And that's actually what, and that's why I, I kind of always knew the way I was viewing it was almost unrealistic because I was like, oh, he can go out there and just play maybe in four of the eight games and stats. That's cool. And there's no way, right, that realistically, like, game one of the playoffs would start and they'd be like, hey, KD, right to shut it down. I'd be like, right. no, for sure not. I'm starting at center. Look, I'm dropping 33 a game. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's why I said maybe they even say that, right? But then all of a sudden they get game one against the two seed, right, or something like that. The calculation changes, right, in the same way you just mentioned it. KD rushed back in the NBA Finals. We all knew it. Right. And so then who's to say, obviously, we hopefully learn lessons. But, you know, 
you go up 2-1 in a surprise series, then then what happens, right? Especially if you have the proof points of him going 32-8 and in one of those random regular season games. So I think that is interesting. We don't think he's going to come back. He has confirmed it. There's another big-time player that may not come back. As we turn our attention to the NFL, I think this is big news, Kev. We, You know, we've talked about this, the value of the running back. Right. And we talked about do they get that second contract or not? Right. Or can they be chewed up and spit out? And it's yeah. such an interesting dynamic about if running backs see themselves as truly elite and worth that kind of commitment. And one of the names we always talked about, Kevin, in this conversation, because we knew it was coming, is Minnesota Vikings running back Dalvin Cook. And we heard yesterday from Adam Schefter, in essence, he ain't coming back until he has a new deal. The quote is, he's out. Without a reasonable extension, he will not be showing up for camp or beyond. And this is very interesting, Kev, because we always thought that Dalvin deserved to kind of be above the fold, unlike some of these other running backs. This is an RB1, a first-round pick to me, but this is a team that will also move Stefan Diggs away already, brought in Jefferson, Thielen getting old, but they made a pretty big commitment to Kirk Cousins. They sure did. Oh, boy, is this interesting, man. Oh, boy, yeah. is this interesting. Um, so last year they were, they ran the ball the fourth most times in the league. They threw it third fewest. Now those numbers can always be misleading, right? Because when teams get up by a lot, they run more. But if you watch, you know that that's not what the Vikings were last year. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a case of they were up all the time and they ran all the time. Right. And when they were up, they ran, but when they were down, they ran. And when it was in the middle, they ran, they put everything. I mean, Kirk Cousins threw the ball like 200 less times from 2018 to 2019. There's a massive gap in the way they approached the game. Now, interestingly enough, Kevin Stefanski, the offensive coordinator, is gone. And right. what that means for this team and was the approach meant to be the same? I believe so, because despite Mike Zimmer being the defensive coach, even though he's the head coach, clearly has a massive influence on what they're doing on the offensive side of the football. That's why him and John Filippo simply just did not seemingly see eye to eye, and he wanted more of a run-first type of offense. Mm -hmm. And Dalvin Cook is, as we've seen, one of the best running backs yeah. in the league. Now, where it becomes difficult is trying to figure out how you manage one of the best running backs in the league on a team that clearly values the run. You can debate whether they should value the run. It's meaningless. They value the run. Right. And you have to try to figure out that versus the backups, right? Alexander Madison, who's come in and has looked mm. here's So there's a couple of sticking points here, Dane. But the first one is that he apparently wants more than McCaffrey. Hey, Dalvin, for sure cut it out. That's right. ridiculous. I mean, it's nice oh, to I want that much. I mean... It's not nice things I want. <laughs> you exactly. I think the problem for Dalvin Cook is he's not going to get that. But again, we are pretty much now kings of like negotiation here. Twenty-two million. Exactly. I want the football numbers. <laughs> Him taking. I, I mean, they also acknowledge like the David Johnson contract of thirteen million. So I think fourteen to fifteen gets the deal done. Here's the biggest thing to me, Dane, that I want to make sure I I, I say, yeah, and yeah. then you can take it wherever you would like. Yeah, there was uh, something from the Adam Schefter article that accompanies the report. It's funny. For, for When I was much younger, I never read these articles. I'm like, no, he tweeted on the report. I'm like, it's just going to say the same thing. No, there's actually, like, interesting nuggets no, in there for those that, that haven't learned. Um, so here's one of the interesting little pieces for the Did you also just, like, read the cliff notes of books in high school and not the actual book? Okay. Sorry. Your English teacher is watching. <laughs> no, mom watches sometimes. Um, I can go over my book report strategy maybe another time. Good morning, um, Mrs. Walsh. <laughs> but the excerpt uh, says, to date, the Vikings contract proposals to Cook demonstrate that they are a quarterback first team per the source. Now, the source was commenting on Dalvin Cook not showing up and those things. Okay, I want you to think about what that says, right? Mm -hmm. like, what side is the source on? Right. It's, it's Dalvin Cook's team. And they feel it necessary to say, hey, we're noticing the Vikings are, are approaching this as a quarterback first team. Hello? What do you mean? <laughs> it's 2020, sir. We all are. It's, yeah. But the problem is, 
And this speaks to Stefan Diggs' issues with Kirk, Con- mm-hmm. Kirk Cousins and the way they approached the, the, the game last year. There is a weird lack of belief that exists in Kirk Cousins. And yeah. the fact that the running back in 2020 could say, what do you think, we're quarterback first here? And right. maybe actually have a leg to stand on when right. it comes to the negotiation room is very, very interesting. It certainly is. You know, as we move to a quarterback-driven pass-heavy league, right, we've talked about the value of the running back position. And, you know, Cook sees himself as higher. Guess what? So does Devontae Freeman, Kevin. You know what I mean? There's a lot of them out there. One thing I'll push back on, you talked about, you know, Dalvin Cook versus the backups, right, like Boone or Madison. I, I wholeheartedly disagree with that, Kev. I think it's Cook's value up against the market next year. That's the other options. Okay. Those are the other options to me. So do I lock in Dalvin Cook for four, five, three, whatever it is now, or similar to what the Titans are doing with Derrick Henry? Kev, do I just kick the can down the road and organize myself to be able to hit the market in a good way next year? Remember, we thought they were going to draft Evans to kind of bridge that gap in Tennessee. They did so. And we've been talking about Derrick Henry kind of being like juicing the orange, right? I think that's an option for Minnesota. And here's why, Kev. This is pure supply and demand, in my opinion. Okay. Now, the market. I think is going to be flooded next year with running backs and, you know, supply and demand, right? That means they're going to all be able to get a discount teams. It's going to be a, like a team market, right? It won't be the running back market to kind of, you know, hold teams to the fire and get a bidding war. It'll be vice versa. Listen to this. I count literally Kevin 15 backs, 15 that, you know, some of which are legit pro bowlers and all pro, some of which are like RB2 good backs that we've talked about. And some are like, you know, with a change of scenery or taking a chance can definitely fill a role. Listen to these names, Kevin, including Dalvin Cook. I mentioned Derrick Henry, right? Leonard Fournette, Kenyon Drake. Todd Gurley, who, by the way, has now passed his physical. That's five. Chris Carson, Aaron Jones, who led the league in rushing touchdowns last year. That's seven. Marlon Mack, who we've talked about, right? And the Indy's been looking maybe to replace him with Jonathan Taylor. He's a viable back, Kevin. And he's eighth on this list. James Conner, we've talked about. Um, Alvin Kamara talking about ringing bells. That's 10, already, Kevin. Then we get guys like Joe Mixon, who I've discussed with you, Matt Breida, who's the starter in Miami now, James White, Kareem Hunt, and even Damian Williams, who may get supplanted by everybody's favorite rookie, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Kevin, that's 15 backs, okay? So here's what I'm asking you. For the Minnesota Vikings, is it smart to cave to the holdout demands now, or to have my choice of running backs next offseason and kind of figure out what is the best value to them at that point and tell Dalvin, shut up and report to camp. The thing is, we're seeing that Dalvin Cook, though, is smart, which is why those quarterback comments to me are really fascinating because if he waits to next year, it's not going to work, right? I mean, look mm-hmm. at the market. He does it now, and the thing is, that market's great for the Vikings. But they can't touch it till next year. So... This year, and the Vikings want to, I mean, they want to win the division. They want to go out there and compete for a Super Bowl, right? Yeah. I mean, you look at the way probably their roster is constructed, and you never know yeah. if things could start to fall out. We've seen them lose some talent. Yeah. They need to go to either Madison or Boone this year. Maybe they go to Devonta Freeman. Well, or, they sign Freeman or Lamar Miller. Sure, and, and they can go and they can go that route, right? But to me, I still, I still would say that there is a gap between Cook and the rest of those backs. I agree. What I would do is I'd bring in Freeman for a workout to create leverage with Dalvin Cook. But that's our number one. We'll talk more about the NFL and a team in our spotlight when we come back. It's the early line. <laughs> 